0: So I'm, I'm playing on a much smaller scale, at least with the first ones, right? So nothing was larger than 25,000, which to me is like, okay, I could go and settle a case tomorrow and make back that 25,000 if that deal goes kaput. So there were small pieces and small percentages of my net worth, which I was comfortable with, with giving away. And so the thing that I would say to people that are thinking about it is educating yourself, number one, on what opportunities are out there.
1: Well, I'm excited to welcome into the show, fellow Go Abundance brother, my man Brian Glass. How we doing, man? Maddie A, I'm fantastic, buddy. How are you, dude? You know, any any time I get to have uh, high level conversations with fellow Go Abundance brothers, I always get fired up because you always know there's a just kind of already a different caliber of conversation and awareness and intention. So uh, I'm excited to be connecting with you today and and hearing about your journey because you know a lot of. A lot of the people that we get to interview on the show, I mean, all walks of life in terms of how they've kind of unlocked financial freedom, how they're building wealth. I don't talk to too many lawyers, dude. There are not too many lawyers who are thinking
0: outside of how do I big build a big enough pile of money that I can retire someday and then draw off a bit. So yeah, I mean, that's that's kind of the space that I'm working on carving out for myself, Matt, is like, being an advocate for lawyers and lawyer happiness, and and one of the things that I noticed when I got into abundance is there are not very many of us. There's a couple, but there's you know most of you guys are real estate guys, which is exciting yeah. to look le- to learn from. Um, uh, but I'd like to get some more lawyers involved.
1: Yeah, which is I know you started your podcast Time Freedom for Lawyers, being that really like you said, you know there's there's the the mindset around you know kind of the the hourly rate. You know, that so many lawyers have. It's just charging as much as I can per hour, you know, working as many hours as I possibly can, grinding. I know you even said, right? Like there's a lot of alcoholism, a lot of depression, a lot of divorce. And you're the complete opposite, which is why I'm really excited to dig in. I mean, you're getting time with your family, you're coaching sports for your kids, you're building wealth through real estate while continuing to scale the business that you guys are growing. So, where did this mindset like start for you? What was that light bulb moment of like, yeah, I want to be a lawyer, but I want to do it differently?
0: So, you know, just listening to you say that, the really it came from my dad. So, my dad's a lawyer, um, and he was a fantastic role model for the kind of life that I wanted to live. Uh, I'm the oldest of nine kids, actually. There's okay. five biological, yeah, so five biological. Um, there were four of us. And then when I was a junior in high school, my parents had um, baby number five, who I think is like nine years behind everybody else. And then um, uh, they stumbled into the adoption space. And so I have four adopted brothers and sisters from China that are in that lower uh, lower age cohort around my brother, Matt. So um, so growing up, like family was really, really important to us. And I watched my dad coach my terrible, terrible travel soccer team for years on end. Um, And, you know, and so I'm just trying to replicate that for my kids. Like I was, I was telling my son last night, we had our last, uh, my nine-year-old had his last uh, fall soccer practice last night. And a couple of parents were asking if I'm going to coach again next season and keep the team together. And I said, listen, as long as Kellen wants to keep playing soccer, and as long as he wants dad to be his coach, I'm happy to do that for him. And then in terms of being a lawyer, like I just never... I never had any other job that really resonated with me. So everything else looked like hard work. Um, and for me, I'm a trial lawyer. And all I do all day is ask questions and tell stories. Um, there's no math. There's no science. There's there's some medicine, but it just doesn't seem that hard to me. And so like if I had to go out and pick another job now, I have no idea what I would do because all of that stuff seems like work. And a lot of times I feel like I'm... You know having fun and playing so i'm in a happy space right now
1: that's awesome dude and so when you kind of were pursuing that path you know what it what did it look like for you in terms of the vision where did where did it start was it like this is the life that i'm going to live and build or has it unfolded in different Mm -hmm. you know layers over time for you what does that evolution look like let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer Ford slash mindcast that's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial let linkedin sales navigator help you sell like a superstar today just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started
0: vision has not really been a thing for me until about three or four years ago mm. um Um, and you know, I, I don't know why, but is, uh, so my path kind of to go abundance came from a bunch of financial independence podcasts and many, many of the financial independence podcasts talk about stripping down your expenses to a point where now you've built up the big nest egg and you can draw three or 4% against the expenses. Um, And that part really never resonated for me because I I got to the point where I was like, all right, if I'm 45 and I'm financially independent, like what would I go do next? Um, I could go to a beach for a month, but after that, I'd probably be bored. So what else else would I do? And so, you know, three or four years ago, I, I started working with a personal coach and I really started visioning for myself, like, what do I want my life to look like three, five, seven years from now? and and it's not i want to sit on the beach and do nothing all day so i've come to a place now where i don't i don't really want to retire so a lot of our friends talk about having retired and then they explain to me what that means and i'm like dude you didn't retire you just built something that you actually enjoy right and so what i'm working on now is building a law firm with employees that i enjoy working with doing work for clients that i enjoy Working with, right? So that means like not letting the guy who self identifies as a jerk on the phone through the door as a client in the first place, because he's going to make your life miserable over the next 18, 24, 36 months or however long you're dealing with his case. So, so um, you know, just carving out like, here's what I really want my life to look like, both in terms of passive income. Active income, and then who I want to spend time around, and what kind of people and conversations I want to have. But really, Matt, I didn't. I didn't get there probably until I was about
1: thirty-five. Yeah, I was going to say. I think you know, there's kind of that evolution, right? Of like in the beginning, you do anything, everything, you take them all just to kind of get that start, get that experience, get that income rolling in. But then you start building boundaries and kind of elevating your standards Mm -hmm. for you. As you were, you know, building your income up and building your business up, how did you build that balance in from the beginning to where it's at today?
0: Um, how did I build the the balance in? Um, oh, you know, over time, right? So I think you have to go through the evolution of taking the the things that. End up being a mistake. Like you, you take on clients and you learn, okay, I don't want to deal with that kind of person anymore. And then that that becomes on your your like do not do list, right? And so you have to get through that evolution. And sometimes you have to be hit in the face with that mm-hmm. problem three or four times before it finally sticks. And 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 you need to get to a certain level of financial security where you don't feel like you have to answer every phone call and take every next client and opportunity that's walking in the door. Like that. That is a big piece for me too. Is getting to a level of financial stability on my own where I felt like I could say no to those things. So you know the 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 statement that I kind of go back and forth on is um, this uh, the idea of every opportunity should either be a hell yes or a hell no, right? So for a long time I I was taking everything, and then I got to a point where I was like, okay, if I'm not a hell yes on this client or opportunity or, or whatever. I'm not going to do it. And then I recognized, you know, maybe nine months ago that I, I was using that as an excuse to play smaller. And so I've shifted back now to saying yes to a lot more things in my life and taking on a lot more opportunities. And now I've gotten to a place where I'm like, I'm, life is starting to feel a little bit overcrowded again. So maybe we got to go back the other way. So there's no mastery of this, right? It's, it's a pendulum and it swings back and forth yeah. and you just try to get a little bit better next
1: year. For you, what was that financial kind of number milestone where you started to feel a little bit more comfort, or I call it the swan money, right? Sleeping well at night, (laughs) you know, knowing that you got enough money in the bank or enough money coming in every month to, you know, kind of start as you taking things and narrowing the focus a little bit more. What did that process look like for you?
0: So we were talking a little bit before I got on here, um, before we hit record, about the firm that I came from. So I was at a a different firm for the first 10 years of my career, and then I moved over, started working with my dad about three years ago, and shifted from um, a salary and a bonus structure at the old firm to salary and quarterly draw as an owner here. And the difference was that anytime that I wanted more money, <laughs> I could just settle something, right? And it would it would show up in my paycheck two weeks later. Um, and then it took some adjusting as I com- came over here to get the systems right and make sure that that money was going to be there at the end of every quarter to get us to a point where I felt a little bit more secure. So, And then I've got a couple of passive investments and things like that. Um, but for me, really, you know, really like the million to a million and a quarter to a million and a half, that was the standpoint where I was like, I, I could take a hit now. I don't want to take a hit, but I could, if I wanted to, if I had to.
1: Was that annual income or was that like oh, liquid cash sitting no, in, the, in, wish, in, the, in the bank?
0: Yeah, I wish that was annual income. That's, yeah, it's like all, taking all comers, right? So, um, uh, liquidity, um, uh, real estate. At counting everything, yeah man a million million and a half annual income we're still we're still working on getting there
1: you guys are still working on getting there, I love it though, and, <laughs> and I'm sure that's not off far uh in the horizon there because you guys have obviously been growing the company year over year. What would you attest that that growth to you know, obviously, as a high income earner, mm-hmm. according to most people in the u s um you know continuing to look at how do you level up and kind of break through that? next ceiling and make it the new floor, what were some of the things that you were challenging yourself with along the way, or maybe you guys are challenging yourselves with right now in the company?
0: The biggest shift for us was starting to operate on EOS, um, Mm. the, the traction program, and getting really militant about having the right people in the right seats. Working towards the company vision, so our company vision is a little bit different than any other law firm I think would say. like we don't say anything about justice, we don't say anything about getting money from insurance companies. The vision is i we want to be a great business where people can thrive, and that starts with the employees and the owners here, and then it trickles down to the clients um, and we had to make a lot of hard decisions about people that had um, had notions of justice like well, we got to take this case, even though it's not going to pay any money, and and but uh, because justice requires us to take it, that guy's not here anymore. Um, and so, getting <laughs> getting the right people in the right seats for us was really powerful, and making sure that everybody is on board with I want it to be a great place to work at. Number one, where we're doing great place, great things for clients. Number two, so most lawyers would tell you, and and certainly most judges would tell you, like. The client is number one, first, last, and always comes before your spouse and your family. I, I'd say that's absolute bullshit. My family comes way before the client does. And any client who's getting in the way of that is not going to be a client for very long. So um, all of those things and then rowing in the right direction has, has really been very powerful for us. And we have an implementer, so we, we pay him a healthy fee and see him every three months. And, and you'd be amazed when you have that healthy fee. Coming up in three months, like how much work gets done in the eleven yep. weeks between that guy visiting?
1: Yeah, man, it's so true. Like when when you got skin in the game and you got somebody that's that third party accountability, and everybody then is bought in based on some of those variables in the equation, it's unbelievable. To I mean, we we've rolled out EOS and we have an implementer in um, in my my hotel company, and I mean to to see what it's done for the organization in terms of top line growth, in terms of culture. <laughs> in terms of like real, you know, value that's been created through having a system and an infrastructure that you can operate off of. uh, It's, it feels like the sky is the limit. So I'm curious in your perspective, as you guys have continued to roll this out and see, you know, year over year over year growth, what, what are you guys looking at in terms of the vision of the future for your company, your organization? And obviously I know we'll kind of take a turn and hear a little bit more about your personal investing journey and what you're up to.
0: So it's, it's really interesting. I'll just tell you the numbers. So when we started uh, working in EOS three years ago, we were doing 1.2 million in top line revenue. Um, and we set it, we just kind of threw a dart and said, we want to do 5 million in top line revenue within five years. And we wrestled with, for a long time, do I want to work 5x as hard? Because that was our perception is mm-hmm. that if we're going to do five times as much money, we're, we're going to have to do. You know five times more running, and that really hasn't been the case, so we'll do um we'll do a little bit under three and a half this year, so three times revenue in three years Amazing. and if uh it's been three times revenue, but I'll tell you it hasn't cost us three times as much to run the firm, so you can kind of do the math on what the profit numbers have done um and so then what's our uh, I think we're still scared to say let's move the move the marker from the five million because we still have this perception that it'll take us a little bit more. Work and that it'd be a little bit riskier for us to do that, um, but really, like I'm, I'm really happy with doing what we're doing right now with the people that I'm doing it with, and I'm scared more so to bring in anybody that would rock the boat and mm. screw with our culture than I am with anything else that's going on.
1: I can appreciate that you know that kind of vulnerability. I think as I've talked with a lot of people I consult and coach with over the years, like I, I believe truly that there's a perfect business model. For everyone's goals and vision, and you know, I think it sometimes it's easy to get wrapped up, and we got to grow, 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 and we got to hire, 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 right? And sometimes it does rock the boat, and sometimes it totally knocks people out of their strength zone and their zone of genius, and really unlocking the the lifestyle or the freedom that business they got into for in the first place was supposed to be the catalyst of unlocking that thing. And so I can appreciate that. I think you know as you guys are continuing to explore what that looks like you got great systems great frameworks and you're challenging yourself in the right areas um you know and and i think it also depends on the season that you're at in in life right yeah. like maybe when your kids are all out of the house and you're like hey i want to grind right now versus hey i want to leave at 4 and go coach soccer and you know enjoy time and date nights with my wife and you know have time to work out and have fun you know i think it, it, seasons of life play into all of this as well and so i'm curious when did your mindset around investing kind of come into this journey as you were elevating, you know, your career as a, as a lawyer? When did you say, "Hey, I'm making good money. I need to start, you know, generating some more passive income and starting to think about freedom, uh, time freedom as well."
0: Yeah, so so probably about two or three years ago, um, and I, I forget, you know, you know what it probably was. It probably was Grant Cardone. Okay, um, Uncle G over and over to who, who I consider kind of a blowhard, but, but like when you, I don't, he's interesting because all of his social media presence is way over the top, but occasionally he says stuff that's really smart. And so behind all of the, the bloviating, I, I think he is like a really smart operator. And so, you know, he opened some syndication and I sent some money over there and then I, that opened my eyes to a couple of other syndications, all of which are outperforming his, by the way.
1: <laughs> they are. I was going to say, how did that pan out? Like, what was your experience uh, in in one of his syndications? It's,
0: it's, a, it's a trickle. It's a trickle. Yeah. Um, and, and the most frustrating part now that I've seen a bunch of other ones is that the information um, flow is not very good either. Mm. So, you know, I don't get quarterly reports. He does host Zoom calls every now and then, but largely the Zoom calls are to pitch you on his next deal. Of yeah. So, but that, you know, it, it's like it's like we talked about it. it's you gotta kiss a bunch of frogs before you, you know, find the the uh, the one that works out. So I invested in a, a couple of syndications. And then um my wife had a, a friend at her old job who had purchased a couple of lake houses and kept talking to us about you gotta have a short-term rental, you gotta have a short-term rental. So we uh we bought a house in Ocean City, it's a beachfront property. Um, that we ultimately will be able to use on our own. But for now, we're short-term renting it. And we're talking again before we started recording, like the very first GoBundance event that I went to, somebody pulled me aside and said, well, if you have a short-term rental and you have a high W-2 income, you've got to know this tax trick about um, accelerated depreciation against your W-2 income in a short-term rental. And here's here's the boxes that you need to tick. Um, and so that saved me like $75,000 on my taxes last year, which is GoBundance paid for itself for the next seven yeah. years. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how I got started. And I have swung back and forth again between I want to own my own and control my own properties in terms of exits and, and who we're renting to and, and things like that. And the idea that really the best use of my next hour is working in this business, doing the things that I'm already good at you know, not getting distracted by something else, but doing the things that I'm already good at, and then finding smart operators to place money with um, and and trying to grow my wealth that way. And so the goal for me really is to build up that passive income stream so that it, number one, meets our expenses. And then number two, hopefully at some point meets my active income, and then just make decisions about, am I still having fun here? Right? So it's not about wanting to retire. It's about wanting to have the option to do what you want when you want, with who you want for as long as you want, um, and as long as this is fun in the law firm, I'll keep doing it.
1: yeah, I love it, man. I want to kind of tap into your mindset around how you approach that first investment. you know, I think mm-hmm. a lot of people get nervous, you know making that first investment, parting with a fifty or a hundred thousand dollar check. you know, how did you approach that first investment? And what'd you learn from that? I know you shared a little bit about, you know, kind of the experience with Cardone and some of his Mm -hmm. syndications, but uh, looking back in hindsight over the last few investments, you know, what are some of those learning lessons that you could share with other people that are maybe thinking about making their first investment in something passive that maybe they don't control? Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce An incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group, who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are going to fill up fast. And trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's my first five zero K.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join. And I can't wait to connect with you soon.
0: Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm playing on a much smaller scale, at least with the first ones. Right. So nothing was, nothing was larger than 25,000, which to me is like, okay, I could go and settle a case tomorrow and make back that 25,000. If that deal you know, goes kaput. Um, so, so there were small pieces and small percentages of my net worth, which I was comfortable with with giving away. And so the thing that I would say to, to people that are thinking about it is, you know, educating yourself, number one, on what opportunities are out there. So I'm a big proponent. And not everybody likes these crowdfunding uh, sites, but cra- there's CrowdStreet will let you yep. go in and watch a dozen webinars without investing in anything. And so now, you know, without having to do any vetting of uh, sponsors, I can go in and just watch 10 hours of people pitching their deals and I can watch 15 minutes uh, on every deal of smart people asking them questions. And so if you spend a little bit of time doing that, now you see what kind of questions are being asked and you know what to look for, what not to look for. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you have to, I think, if you want to play in that space, just write the check or send the money. And hold your breath right <laughs> um, because the alternative is you got to do it yourself, right? yep. you have to become an expert in doing it yourself, and so you know you can either pay the time cost of doing that or you can take the risk of of going with an operator that might ultimately um, might ultimately screw you right so what I like to look for is guys that have done it before in that space, in that geographic region um. And and are like making McDonald's hamburgers, right? It's the same thing over and over and over and over. And they have a proven track record of doing that thing. Like I don't want to be with a company doing a development deal that's only done value adds. And then that's the other thing that I learned um, is, is like I wouldn't do a development deal again because in this stage of my life, what I'm looking for is uh, immediate, almost immediate income coming in. And not a deal that might pay off at a higher multiple three or four years from now, and that's yeah, going to that's... be that's, that'll be different for everybody. But that I learned that on my first, like I did a hotel deal that they kept sending me pictures and the monthly updates of like, oh, the thing is still underwater, uh, not and not not financially underwater, but like
1: it had just rained a lot in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's a great point to. For for the LPs out there, right? Because a lot of people talk about the GP and they want to be on the GP side, but when you think about the real passive investments, you're you're on the LP side, and so having a good GP that is kind of the horse that you're going to bet on to run the the race for you, and you know, pay out the winnings, you you, you want to know who is the horse, what mm-hmm. is their strategy running around the track, who's the jockey, what have they you know done in the past, what is you know their practices and habits and disciplines and so I love that and also thinking about suitability you know based on your goals you know am I going for cash flow am I going for big upside do I need you know monthly income do I want tax you know uh abatements like what, what is it that you're really trying to solve for because that obviously ties into the suitability of the investment and then obviously you know just when you're first starting out that repetition of getting exposure getting in proximity to the conversations after a while, you start picking up the terminology and, yeah. you know, what a good answer is, what a bad answer is. And, you know, as you've gotten around more of those deals, obviously you've sharpened your ax and gotten a little bit, you know, more confident in what you're looking for based on your specific goals. So what what for you now is kind of the mindset and the approach for what the next 12 to 24 months look like? with the landscape that we're in, some of the risks that are Um, out there. What's your investing kind of thesis going forward?
0: Yeah, so
1: I don't know. Um, (laughs) I love it, right? Who does know?
0: uh, Well, here's what I did this year. The mistake that I made this year was hoarding too much cash for too long. Mm. Uh, And so... I, I again, I was trying this year to thread the needle of that short-term depreciation, short-term rental depreciation rule, which for me is like I got to buy something in September or, or October so that I can put in a hundred hours and meet the material participation, and and you know by the time we got to August, interest rates were making those prices unsustainable or making yeah. you know make making the numbers not make sense anymore. So I got stuck, and I'm stuck now trying to place a bunch of money within the next you know two months before the year ends so that I can, um, so that I can write off some of my passive income. It doesn't look like I'm going to be able to, to write down any of the active stuff this year. Um, cause I'm not going to go out and buy another short-term rental. Um, and so what is it, what does it look like in an ideal world? It would have looked like buying another place in that same city where we've got, you know, the boots on the ground. I have a good housekeeping team. I have a good, um, uh, a good handyman and I, and I know a plumber, right? So that would have been ideal, but the market didn't let us do that. And so now we're pivoting to holding on to cash and just seeing what happens first part of next year, um, trying not to get too caught up and trying to catch falling knives uh, either in the stock market. So the, the other thing is I, I'm i still way probably over allocated in the stock market, especially compared to the majority of guys who are, who are in that space. Um, just cause it makes me comfortable. Cause it's what I've known for the first, you know, first 36, 37 years of my life. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, just kind of hang. And and now that's 30% down from where it was. So, um, so
1: now I don't want to sell it cause it used to be worth more. Right? Yeah. Right. Which <laughs> I mean, I, most people, if your house goes down in value, you don't rush to go sell your house right away. Right. You, you, you no. usually want to ride it out. Dollar cost average your way through. Talking about, you know, maybe, maybe making a shift a little bit away from real estate stocks that that that's kind of been your space. To, I mean, that's that's an area I've been heavily invested in real estate, and you know, I do have life insurance, I've got brokerage mm-hmm. accounts, I've got mm-hmm. you know, my retirement accounts and things like that. But what's what's kind of your your philosophy or thesis in terms of the stock market?
0: Yeah, so my my thesis has been dollar cost average into total market index funds. You know, it, and it, it's, it's simple. simple. It's the yeah. It's the same idea as as I don't want to compete in the real estate space with a bunch of guys who are really good at real estate, and I don't want to pick, compete in the stock picking space with a bunch of guys and computers who are really good at stock picking. So, so why not just buy everything? And so, you know, I read um, uh, Morgan Housel's Psychology of Money right. uh, earlier this summer, and one of the things that I took away from it was that that this idea that the outliers drive all of the market returns. And so unless you're able to pick which stocks are going to be the outliers, like why even try mm-hmm. um, the, something like 70% of the S and P 500 return is driven by three, four, five stocks every single year. and And the other wild statistic was like 40 or 60% of stocks that reach their high, never reach it again. Like, to just straight trajectory down. And so why why would you ever buy any single stocks when you can just dollar cost average? and again, it's about like what's the best use of my time? Well, if this is a, a market that I'm gonna play in the best use of my time is just deploying it into a little bit of everything.
1: Yep. And are you doing monthly kind of, you know, um contributions to certain accounts? Are you doing lump sums? What what's kind of your overall yeah, you know, strategic yeah. and fundamental investment practices? Yeah, so
0: Right. So I still have a 401k. <laughs> um, which is, is funny because like for most of the world, they're like that's a good thing to have, right? Um, but people in GoBundance kind of look at you sideways when you say you have a 401k <laughs> right. and you invest in stocks. Um, which which uh, just kind of sidetrack, like I when I paid virtually no tax last year, I'm like, Well, yeah, of course. If if you can't deduct your 401k contributions from a zero percent tax bracket, like why? Why would you make 401k contributions? It becomes less attractive. Yep. Uh, if you're in the real estate space, um, but no, I, I put in a little bit every month, and then I have been a big proponent for a long time of every time uh, I get uh, a raise or a bonus or my expenses decrease, not acting like that that increase in net available cash is actually mine. And yep. so, so on our primary primary residence, a couple of years ago, we did a um, did a refinance, saved like $700 a month. And so I just set up an automatic contribution for my checking account, $700 a month into my brokerage account. Right. Um, so yeah, I've, I've played in that area for a long time where like I- any excess money that's coming in, it doesn't get spent. It just gets redeployed somewhere else. And a, a, on the pendulum issue, like I have a hard time sometimes going out and spending money even though I'm able to because that mindset has been so locked into saving everything and, and making sure that we get the pile to be big enough that that
1: it'll last us forever, right? What is that pile for you? I know it's different for everyone. I'm always just curious around, you know, what is what is kind of the net worth number or is it a is it a monthly cash flow, passive income number for you? Yeah. So right you mean right now or like target? It,
0: both. Yeah. So right now about two million. Okay. Uh, tar- target, you know, I don't know. So net worth, I, I have come to realize, is kind of vanity. Like, yeah. that that doesn't really matter as much as passive income matters. It's, big, so, it's a big
1: ego number for sure, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, I'm in a really high cost of living area, and I got three kids that are in daycare. So, you know, our burn rate is like sixteen, seventeen thousand dollars a month, um, without any real fun vacations or anything like that. And so, so that would be that would make me happy sixteen to twenty thousand of of passive income a month. I'm a long way from that. I'm at about. I'm probably at about three or four right now. Okay. But I mean, like I said, chapter two,
1: right? So yep. we'll get there. I love it, man. So as you continue to kind of move the needle forward on your wealth building journey, your financial freedom journey, your, your business journey, what areas are you really trying to challenge yourself in right now in kind of unlocking that next level?
0: It's funny. Um, because... I feel, I feel right now that I'm on the right path with the business and the financial stuff. And so the challenge for me is really around how to be more present with my wife, how to be a better dad to my kids and how to, how to maximize my time with them. Uh, and how do I spend time doing the stuff that they want to do? That's because the worst thing that can happen as a parent is like you plan this really exciting thing and your kids have no interest in it. Right. Mm. So <laughs> how do we work with them to, uh, to do shit that they want to do and spend time with them in a way that's going to be memorable to them, you know, because you only get 18 years with them, right? So I'm I'm with my nine-year-old, I'm halfway there. And I told my wife at 18 years, we're kicking them out of the house. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and then, we're get, and then we're on to the second half of our life. Yep. Uh, so, so that's really what I'm focused on now. Like I feel like I'm I'm very happy financially with my trajectory and uh, and now I'm trying to maximize all the family stuff and and try to bring along you know friends and and my employees here. So one of the things that we started doing at the firm a year ago we we had a really hard time with our financial numbers communicating to the staff and the employees like why should you care that we're making five times as much money? Like what's the benefit to you? So I started sitting down with them about six months ago, one on one, and asking them three questions: um, What's your one your ten-year personal goal? What's your one in your ten-year professional goal? And then I stole from Jason Drees, What's something that you think is impossible for you, but would be really fun to try anyway? Mm-hmm. And having these having these one-on-one conversations with my staff, who are you know largely between the ages of twenty-two and twenty-eight. And nobody's ever talked to them like that before. Um, so that's been really powerful is like figuring out what they want to do and then what I can help them with. And the the things that I got over and over were, um, I want to buy a house, I want to invest in real estate, and I want to run marathons. I'm like, well, I know how to do all three of those things. Uh, and you may not know that I know how to do all three of those things, but let me let me teach you. Um, so, so I have pivoted mindset-wise from how do I keep growing my financial... Um, stuff. Cause I think again, I feel like that's on a good track to how do I have a larger impact on the people that are around me.
1: Mm, I love that servant leadership. It's one of those things where people just overlook it so much, right? And when you pour into other people and you see one, fulfilling personally, how great that feels to see somebody unlock a different level of themselves or of their life, but also kind of what comes back full circle. It's unbelievable to see kind of that law of reciprocity. Working Mm -hmm. in full effect, and it just makes you want to continue to do more of it. Yeah, hundred percent. So as we wrap up today, I know some people are maybe on that you know W two high income path. They're looking to unlock more time freedom. You know, they maybe want to connect with you, your podcast. What's the best place for them to do that?
0: Yeah, so find my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Time freedom for lawyers, Uh, and then I'm on Instagram Brian Glass Esq. uh, Like Esquire. uh, yeah, those are the two best places to find me or LinkedIn. Um, you know, <laughs> many of our friends aren't
1: on LinkedIn, but hey, if you're a W2 guy, you probably are. So I try to yep. post on there just about every day. I love it, man. Well, we'll be sure to link all of that up at uh, millionermindcast.com on Brian's episode. Brian, it was a pleasure uh, hanging out with you today, man. I'm looking forward to connecting at a Go Abundance event. Hi, right, brother. Good, good getting to know you. <laughs> Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth-building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back, and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info, and how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools you can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know, shoot me a text at 844-447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March to million and beyond. Cheers, my friend.